Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. benefits of journeying through the scriptures like we do. We love to just take a book of the Bible or several books of the Bible and just work through them. And, and you know, what that allows us to do is not skip the hard parts. How many of you want to skip the hard parts, right? You go, to, you go to the gym and you see the treadmill, you walk by the treadmill. You don't get onto the treadmill, right? We skip things that are hard. Generally, we take the path of least resistance, and so what going through this uh, book of the Bible and books of the Bible in this way does is that it just brings us right up against the difficult chapters and verses in Scripture because we know that they are there to give us life. Let me tell you that nothing written in this book is meant to break you down. Nothing that is written in this book is meant to destroy you, maybe to, to affront the flesh, to, to, to confront the flesh, but it's, it's not there to break you down. It's there to give you life, right? It's there to introduce you to the heart of God. And so if there's a difficult thing that we meet in Scripture, it's because that thing is supposed to bring life to us and we should wrestle with it. We should chew on it. We should, we should maybe throw some punches if we're not happy with it, but at least engage with it. So many people, they just skip it. And that's not the intention of God for us in reading His Word. We're not supposed to skip stuff. We're supposed to go, how does this fit in? How does this work? What is this saying? And oftentimes when we do that, we discover so much more than we could ever have imagined in that. And so one of the benefits of journeying through Scripture is that you cannot avoid the passages that you don't like or that don't fit the sensitivities of our postmodern world. Come on, in cancel culture, do you know that there are parts of the Bible right now that have been outlawed in places like Canada for, uh, as, as hate speech? You're not allowed to say them. You're not allowed to preach them. You're not allowed to even post them on social media or even speak about them or mention them in church. You can preach certain passages in certain countries of the world right now and be arrested for it because it offends the postmodern sensitivities of our cancel culture. But Paul is not sharing in the word everything, and in these letters, everything that you'd like to hear. He's sharing everything that you need to hear. He's sharing everything that's gonna be helpful for you, because what he is sharing is true. And the thing about truth is, it is necessarily exclusive. Because for something to be true, it needs to necessarily exclude all the things that are untrue, right? If four plus four equals eight, it necessarily excludes five, six, and seven. Those are not true. And so truth is exclusive, but everybody's invited to it. Everybody is welcome to receive it. It's exclusive though, and it's not something that our world enjoys. Proverbs 27 verse six, a really interesting verse says this, it says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. They're faithful. It's faithfulness when a friend wounds you sometimes. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. An enemy might flatter. His kisses are many, might, might say certain things to make you feel good. But at the end of the day, their intention or their heart for you is, is, is not legitimate. The motivation is false. Have you, ever, have you ever met a really good salesperson? 
and they start with like flattery right out the gate and they just start complimenting you and talking and you're like, what is going on here? You're clearly trying to deceive me in some way. But when a friend comes to us, somebody who is, who is a genuine friend and sometimes in love shares something that we need to know, it can hurt a little bit. It can hurt because, because it, it, it's not something we necessarily want to hear. It injures our pride. That's the wound. That's a, it's kind of like a mortal flesh wound to your pride, a mortal wound to your, your own selfishness, the blind spots that you have, and it hurts. But it ultimately leads to freedom. Never forget that Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss. He betrayed Jesus with a kiss and Jesus looked at him. What must have been one of the most heartbreaking moments in Judas's life when, he looked at, when Jesus looked at him in the eyes and said, Judas, do you betray the son of man with a kiss? And so even in church, our heart isn't just to sing songs and blow kisses towards Jesus while in our hearts live in a way that betrays him. No, we want to be authentic and real and open before God. We want, to, we want to surrender ourselves to Him. But if, like we read last week, the flesh is hostile towards God, your flesh is not neutral. It's not like, nah, I'll go to church or not, whatever. It's not, it doesn't sit in the middle, it doesn't sit on the fence. Your flesh is actually hostile. It harbors hostility towards God. It doesn't want to hear. If your flesh is hostile towards God, then we cannot share the truth without offending our flesh. It is gonna offend, but the offense is gonna bring healing and the healing is gonna bring life. Psalm 30 verse five says, weeping may stay the night. It may endure through the night, but joy comes in the morning. And so there is a time for us to, to experience sorrow. There's a time for us to consider these things and and through that, wrestle with the redemption of God that is available to every single one of us. God doesn't leave us in our sorrow, but lifts us up out of it. But you can't be lifted up if you don't know where you're sitting. You can't be, you can't be resurrected if you're not willing to die. There's a, a death that happens and then the resurrection comes. And so Paul, as we progress to the end of Ephesians 4, has really been imploring the people of God to walk in a way, which is a way of saying to live in a way, that is worthy of the great calling with which they've been called by God and to conduct themselves in a way that is consistent with the truth of who they are. Don't be one thing and live another way. Be consistent. That's what the word integrity means. Integrity means to be whole. It means to be integrated. It's not separated or segregated. I say one thing, but live another. No, you're integrated. You're one whole. You have integrity. And so Paul is begging them to live in this way as opposed to according to their former way of thinking. And the reason why, and we looked at this last week, the reason why people live this way, the reason why they walk this way, why the Gentiles and the unbelievers walk this way, but also what Paul says, why some believers, they, they still walk in that way. He says that the, the unbelievers walk in the futility of their minds. It's futile. There's, there's, it's not fulfilling the purpose. The wisdom of the world doesn't know God. And so it, it's, it's a hollow wisdom. It's, it's, a, it's foolishness to God. 
It doesn't cause people to know him. And so they're futile in their thinking because they've been darkened in their understanding. Why have they been darkened in their understanding? We looked at this last week. Because they have hardened their hearts or because their hearts are hard. And so a hard heart will lead to a darkened understanding, which will lead to futile thinking, which will lead to giving yourself up to all manner of sensuality and impurity, just following the culture of this world and being led, as he says in Ephesians 2, being led by the spirit of the prince of the air. In other words, the, in other words Satan, the enemy. That's what happens when we harden our hearts to the voice of God in our lives. But now in Christ, that's not who we are. That's who you used to be. The hopeful thing today is you are a new creation in Christ. You have received a heart of flesh. And I alluded to the scripture last week, but I thought I'd read it to you this morning. Ezekiel 36 verse 26 says, and I will give you a new heart. Come on, how beautiful is that? God doesn't just fix up the old one. It's, this is not, you know, he doesn't just do a, a restoration on a broken down spirit. No, he, he, he takes that spirit away and he gives you a brand new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, God says. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And so God promises to do spiritual heart surgery on all of us where he removes our hardened hearts and gives us hearts that can beat, that can pump blood, that can feel, that are alive. He gives us a heart of flesh. He exchanges futility for purpose. And that purpose, the primary purpose that all of our hearts have is to reconnect with our Savior, is to know God. You know, this is, you're not born into some into some religion. This is not you enlisting for a, for, to follow a moral code. This is not you saying that you're gonna join the Jesus Club. It's not just, it's not just a, you know, a thing that you join. It's a relationship. It's real, it's authentic. You either have a relationship with God or you don't this morning. And that's what we're born into. We're born into a loving relationship with our Creator where we get to experience the hope and the power of God at work within us. And so now Paul says, now that you've been brought to life, you don't have a heart of stone anymore. You don't have your, your understanding darkened. You're not walking in the futility of your mind. No, you are now a new creation filled with the power of God, with the grace of God pulsing through your veins, with, with the spirit of the Lord speaking to your heart, directing your steps, ordering your steps as you move through every day. That's who you are now. So no longer live in the old way. Don't give yourself over to the things that you used to give yourself to because that's not who you are anymore. And so in Ephesians 4, Paul makes a statement that has troubled many believers. It's one of those that we often skip or avoid. Because in Ephesians 4 verse 30, he kind of in this little passage that we'll get to, he kind of as the centerpiece of this passage says something that doesn't quite fit the rest of the passage because it's almost like everything, you know, feeds into this statement. And that's in Ephesians 4 verse 30. He says, and do not 
grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Those are some weighty words. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You have received the Holy Spirit. He lives with you. He is in you. Jesus said to his disciples, it is good for you that I go to the Father because I will send you another helper. He has been with you and he will be in you. He will be in the indwelling presence of God in your life. And so the Holy Spirit is is present in your life all the time. He never leaves nor forsakes. And so you are sealed. That was the guarantee Paul speaks in other places in Scripture. That's the guarantee that you have of the resurrection. That's the guarantee of the full redemption. When we are raised in a new life in heaven with Christ in eternity, the down payment that God has given us, how we know that it's going to happen, is that He gave us His Holy Spirit now. We're filled with that Spirit. And so it's the guarantee of the eternal redemption that we will have. And so you were sealed by the Holy Spirit. So don't grieve him. I want to share a message with you this morning entitled, Do Not Grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. We're going to wrestle with this a little bit today. Before we get to the reasons that we may grieve the Holy Spirit, the reasons why God's Holy Spirit may be grieved through our walk, I want to just pause, press pause on this statement and how it makes us feel. Because we have a feeling, and I, and, I'm, and, I, and I would assume that some of your feeling may be negative this morning. You might be feeling a little bit nervous this morning as we talk about grieving the Holy Spirit. It's like, oh, I thought this was going to be an encouraging message today. I thought, Adrian, didn't Adrian say a few times earlier he was going to encourage me? Now he's telling me that my life is, is, is making God sad. You know, it doesn't seem to fit. So I want us to just to take a moment right now as mature believers to press pause on how that statement makes us feel. I want us to lay all of our ready-made theological justifications that you, you, you're, you're kind of itching in your chair to jump up and shout, no, I don't, my life doesn't grieve the Holy Spirit. I want you just to, to hold on to those for a minute and just sit in the truth of this statement right now. Just sit in it. You know, that's what the... The, the biblical idea of sorrow was to go and sit in, 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 in ashes. Just, just let, it, let it resonate with you. Just feel it for, for, for a moment right now. And this is what I want you, this is the truth of the statement I want us to sit in. That God's omniscient, all-knowing, omnipotent, all-powerful, omnipresent spirit the all-powerful creator of heaven and earth can be grieved. Just think about, think about that for a moment. We, we kind of see God as so detached from our everyday lives so often. Like, yeah, God's too busy with other things. Come on, have you ever thought that way? Like, I'm, you know, I'm struggling with this sin. I've got this thing going on. I'm making this decision. And, and it's separated from, oh, yeah, on Sunday, I remember there's a God. We kind of feel like our lives are not important enough for God to actually be involved. Never, the, never mind actually have feelings about. But this is actually an incredible statement because it says that God feels something about your life. He has an emotion. You know, Zephaniah, the book of Zephaniah. Yes, there's a book called Zephaniah. It actually talks about God stands up and he sings over us out of his love. 
Can you imagine the creator of heaven and earth standing up and breaking out into song? So often we've seen God just as the stoic, you know, impassable, you know, non-emotive God that never feels and just is systematic and mathematical and formulaic and how he does everything. But no, God is an emotional God. He's not ruled by his emotions like we often are, but he definitely has them. It's the reason why we have them. We're emotional beings because our creator is emotional, is an emotional being. God's spirit can be grieved. It's a beautiful and mysterious and majestical thing to consider that the almighty God has the ability to feel, to be vulnerable, while at the same time maintaining perfect sovereignty. His emotions never, never threaten his sovereignty. In his sovereignty, he has emotions. And he's able to process those things uh, that he experiences. And, 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 and this, how is this even possible? I've often thought about this, how, how God knows the end result. And he has promised to all believers that in the end, all things will work together for good. So he knows that the sorrow that you're going through right now or the brokenness or the heartache or whatever it is that you're struggling with, he knows that ultimately he is gonna make it work out for good. He knows the final result. But yet, he still has the emotion. He still enters in. I wanna look at why that is. I know these are some, some deep thoughts this morning. How... God ultimately even entertains grief. And I'm, I'm, I'm gonna come up for air in a moment, but just stick with me for a while. I was thinking about this as I was writing this message. Why does the creator of heaven and earth even allow himself to experience grief? Why does he make room for that in his, in his spirit or in his soul? And what I realized is that since the Bible says that God loves us and that his love is true and that he is love. He doesn't just have it, but he is love. You'll know that love engages every part of your soul. Love engages all parts of you. It cannot simply be mechanical. It cannot be systematic or formulaic because it's love. It's genuine, it's authentic. And so the sovereign God of heaven and earth can experience sorrow over the decisions that you and I make for one reason and one reason only, because he loves you, because he loves you. Come on, there are people that are going through things all over the world and we pray for them and we might think about them, but we don't really have the emotion for them, right? If I tell you that right now somebody is sick in Spain, you're like, oh, that's, that's too bad. You don't feel anything. But if I told you that your mom was sick, or your child was sick, all of a sudden those, those emotions begin. Why? Because you love. And so God necessarily has to have the ability to feel because he is love and he cares about us. I've, I thought about it, who am I? A little man on a tiny planet in the briefest moments of time and space that I could move the creator to tears. How is it possible that my insignificant life could have any effect on the emotional state of the creator. This is what I want us just to consider for a moment. God cares. How could it possibly be conceivable? Well, he loves me. 
That's why it matters to him. That's why your life matters. That's why when God speaks into your life and he says, there's some things that I want you to let go of. There's some things I want you to do. Like when God says, hey, I would love for you to forgive. And we go, no, God, this is my pain. This is my bitterness. This is an insult or an injury that I suffered. I'm gonna hold on to this. And God's like, please just forgive. I love you and I know what bitterness is gonna do to your soul. I know what it's gonna do to your well-being. I know what it's even gonna do to your physical health. Do not hold on to bitterness. I'm instructing you to forgive. Why does God do that? Because he loves us. Because you are the apple of his eye. Because he cares about you more than you could imagine. And so when we read these scriptures, we so quickly kick against the you know, the, the, the potential negatives. Oh, now, you know, my life is making God sad and that we never consider the bigger picture. Why would my life have the ability to bring grief to God? It's actually a really hopeful thing. The bigger picture is simply that when you came alive in Christ, you entered into a relationship with God, a deep and meaningful relationship. And so Ephesians 5 verse one to two that we, as we go into Ephesians 5, says, therefore, be imitators of God. So we are to walk in, in, in the same kind of love that God shows towards us. And I'm gonna break that down in a minute. But be imitators of God as what? Children that are loved. As beloved children. Imitate God, walk after Him, because you are the people that God loves. And walk in love, walk in that love. Live your life in a manner that embraces and communicates that love. Receive it and give it. Because you're the loved, beloved children of God. As Christ loved us, he gave us the example and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is pleasing to God when we walk in love because we know that we're loved. When we know the love of God for us, and so we receive that love, and so in honoring the great love of God for us, we begin to walk in that love towards ourselves. We love ourselves not in the selfish, kind of self-centered way, but we love ourselves as the ones whom Jesus loved. We no longer condemn ourselves. But at the same time, we express that love to others also. We begin to receive and to give as dearly beloved children. So because God loves us, he can grieve over us. If that still doesn't make sense to you this morning, think about this. How many parents do we have here today? Just raise your hand if you're a parent, if you have kids. Come on, that's at least, I would say, 60, 70% of people in the room have kids. And what you would know as parents is how it seems like when you have kids, your heart no longer is in your chest, right? You know, Elizabeth Stone said this, uh, the author said this in one of her books. She said this, making the decision to have a child, it is momentous. It is to decide forever to have your heart go walking around outside your body. That's what it's like to have a child. I see Kurt sitting in the front here. He shared a video with me like two, three weeks ago. Maybe it was a little bit, maybe a month ago. His little boy, who's how old now? One and a half years old, fell off 
a very small slide at his play school and broke his arm. And a one and a half year old boy who, you know, can hardly understand what's going on now has this broken arm with a cast and, and is feeling the pain. And as a parent, I think that Kurt experienced more pain than his son did. Come on, if you are a parent, you have felt that before. Your heart aches for your children. Your heart aches for them because you love them. I'll never forget when, I mean, my boys, I've got too many stories to tell about injuries, but, but during the lockdown, there was a time when, when I was in the room and, and I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, I must just go check on the boys. And you know, when you kind of ignore that little voice, I'm like, I'm always checking on them. I'm just going to leave them alone. And they had decided during lockdown to play Marco Polo outside of the pool, which, so they were nowhere near the pool. They were in the house. But one of them was going to be blindfolded and the others were going to run around, you know, Marco Polo, finding each other in the home. And so at one time, at one moment, one of my twin boys said, I'm no longer playing anymore. I'm just going to go and, and use the toilet. I'm just going to go to the loo. And so he's standing by the loo and Eli, who's blindfolded, shouts out Marco and Leo, without thinking, says, Polo even though he's in the bathroom, and Eli walks blindfolded into the bathroom, falls over the edge of the bath, and breaks both his front teeth off in the bath. So that like half the teeth, I was picking up broken pieces of teeth in the bath. And my initial response was anger. <laughs> what are you guys doing, you know? Like most dads, how could you play this game? Dude, I'll never forget his face looking at me. Dad, we were just playing, you know? But you know, that anger was actually just, if I wasn't angry, I was going to cry. Because to see my boy, and, and it's such a silly thing, but you know, I loved those teeth. <laughs> Parents know what I'm talking about. You know, when you have a baby and those little teeth come out in the beginning and they're just so cute, you know, those little milk teeth, and, and then you celebrate the moment when those teeth fall out and, you know, they've got a big gap for a long time and you know, they look strange and they sound strange. And then we celebrate the arrival of the long-awaited chompers, as I call them. They just come out and he had these beautiful, strong, big front teeth. And, you know, it's a big part of your look and whatever. And now they're lying in pieces in the bath. I was grieved. I was grieved. But I'll never forget how, after my initial response of anger, he just actually curled up in the bath and cried. Now, for most people, that would not have much effect, you know, it's just another kid who knocked out his front teeth, but it broke my heart. I, w I, was, I was angry, but I was more than, there was a tenderness to my anger. The anger came out of love. That's my boy. Those are my teeth. That's, that's my face. And to this day, if I look at his teeth, I have a, a sadness over it. The, the dentist managed to fix it okay, it's all right, but I don't want any brokenness in his life. I don't want him to live the rest of his life with having to have all kinds of things done to make those teeth okay. I don't want that for him. I want him to be whole. Now, if as earthly parents, we can feel this way about our earthly children, why do we not in our theology permit God who is the father of us all to grieve over us. Why do we not permit that? It's love. 
Just excuse me for using this word right now, right? I don't use it every Sunday. But he freaking loves you. (laughs) He loves you. He doesn't want any form of brokenness in your life. But we flirt with it daily. And God says, don't. It's not what I have for you. It's not because he's angry. He's not threatening to leave you. He hasn't made a decision to abandon you. He's not feeling personally offended. He is saddened by the fact that your sin is gonna harm you. It's not what he has for you. He loves you. He wants wholeness, health, strength for you. And so that's what we're really talking about here. If you're a parent, you'll know what it is to grieve over your kids. And it's why that word grief, when it says do not grieve the Holy Spirit, is actually an incredibly faithful rendition of the Greek word. In fact, if you go through every Bible translation, it will use the word grief there. Because it's exactly what the Greek word is saying. It is grief. It doesn't say do not anger the Holy Spirit. It says do not grieve him. He uses the word grieve. Charles Spurgeon said this. I read a little bit of Charles Spurgeon's essay on this. He said, there is something very touching in this admonition. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Grief is a sweet combination of anger and love. It is anger, but all the gall is taken from it. Love sweetens anger and turns the edge of it, not against the person, but against the offense. Instead of wishing me ill as the punishment of my sin, the loving father looks upon my sin itself as being the ill. He grieves to think that I am already injured from the fact that I have sin. I say this is a heavenly compound more precious than all the ointment of the merchants. There may be the bitterness of myrrh, but there is all the sweetness of frankincense in the sweet term to grieve. Man, it's connected to God's deep love for you. If he didn't love you, he wouldn't grieve over you. As a parent, I instruct my, parent, my, my kids all the time because I cannot bear the thought of them being hurt. And so I can only imagine, and some of you may be facing this battle right now. Some of you may be experiencing the pain of this right now. I can only imagine what it feels like. Like I've grieved over my kids mainly because they've physically injured themselves, but there are parents here today who have kids who don't serve the Lord or kids that are addicted to drugs or kids that are in a broken situation or kids that that are going through something like that and it breaks your heart. I can only imagine the grief that one would experience as they choose to engage in things that will ultimately harm them. There's a deep grief in the heart of every parent that is born out of love in a situation like that. And so no one in their right mind would call that parent evil for grieving over a wayward child. Nobody would say it's wrong for the parent to want the best for their kids. But then we have an issue when God says he grieves over us. God does not want us to live in the sin that He died to liberate us from, that he sent Jesus to the cross to liberate us from. He is a good father and so he grieves. Two quick occasions in the gospel where we see Jesus moved to tears. Even in the gospels, we find Jesus 
breaking down in tears. And the first one is actually when he comes to the tomb of Lazarus and he sees Mary and the others around Mary crying about the death of their brother. And, and you know what's the amazing thing is Jesus knows that he's there to raise Lazarus from the dead. But just seeing their sorrow, even though five seconds later he was gonna put an end to it, the Bible says, shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. He feels when you feel, even when he knows he's gonna fix it. That's who our God is. That's the greatness of his love for us. The second one is in Luke 19, and I'm just gonna quickly read this. Luke 19, 41 to 44. And when he drew near, he saw the city, Jerusalem, and he wept over it. He cried over Jerusalem saying, would that you, even you had known on this day the things that make for peace. If you would only have been made aware of, of how whole and peaceful you could have been and what you could have experienced, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side. Jesus knows the end of their rejection of the hardness of their hearts and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus is not saying this frivolously. He, the creator, is in tears. He weeps over the city, which is a deep form of of emotion. So Jesus weeps when we do not recognize him, when we do not see the time of our visitation, his presence in our lives and the things that make for peace and instead due to the hardness of our hearts choose things that would destroy us. It grieves the Holy Spirit. So I think it's an incredible revelation for us to have, to know that we have the potential, the ability to grieve God. I want to just touch on Ephesians 4, 20 to 24. Because now we're talking about what it is that grieves the Holy Spirit. So we, we, we've kind of spoken about the fact that he can be grieved. And, and Ephesians 4, verse 20 to 24 says, and we, we ended on this last, last week. He says, but that is not the way you learned Christ. This is not what God has for you. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth. There it is again, the truth is in Jesus. So now here's what God wants us to do. This is what grieves him when we don't do it. Put off your old self. Put off your old self, which belongs to what? A former manner of life. It belongs to your old life. Put it off. It's not fitting for you anymore. It's harmful. It's destructive. It's a former manner of life. And what is it? It is corrupt through deceitful desires. So put off the old, that is the former way of living and operates in deceit or falseness. And instead be renewed in the spirit of your minds, put on the new self. So God wants us to put off the old and put on the new, which was created after the likeness of God in true, it's truth, righteousness and holiness. Put on the new, put off the old. And he continues from there in verse 25. He says, therefore, having put away falsehood. Now I want, I want to show you this. There's two things that we're going to look at or three things that we're going to look at as we read through this passage. The first one is what you're supposed to put off. There's the negative, the falsehood. The second one is what you're supposed to put on. It's the positive. It's what the new life would look like. 
And the third one is the motivation for it. So look at how he does this. In verse 25, he says, therefore, having put away falsehood, put it off. It's not right for you anymore. Let each one of you speak the truth. Put off what's false, speak the truth with his neighbor, which is another believer. And then what's the motivation? For we are members of one another. If you lie to your brother or sister in Christ, you're lying to yourself. You're harming yourself. We are members of each other. He goes on, be angry and do not sin. So there's the negative, anger. But he says, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger, which is well, the imperative there is to forgive. There's a time frame. Before the sun goes down, forgive, let it go. That's the positive. Why should you do that? What's the motivation? So that you give no opportunity to the devil. You do not give the devil a foothold in your life. He says in verse 28, let the thief no longer steal. If you are a thief and it's something that you've done, you've operated dishonestly, it's no longer fitting for your new life. Put it off. No longer steal, but rather labor, doing honest work with your own hands. Work in honesty. What's the motivation? So that you may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no occasion, sorry, let, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Talk that corrupts, that breaks down, that destroys. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up. That's the positive. We get to build people up with our words instead of breaking them down. As fits the occasion, that it may give grace to the one who hears. That's the motivation. Let your speech be seasoned with grace so that it builds up those who hear you. And then he says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. He goes on in verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Take it off along with all malice, all malicious intent. Instead, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another even as Jesus, even as Christ forgave you. It's just so much more fitting, right? It's just so, such, a, it's such a great life for us to live. Notice there that not once does Paul refer to the law as a motivation for what we do. Do you know that bearing false witness is one of the 10 commandments? Paul doesn't mention that. Do you know that being angry and murdering or acting out in anger is one of the Ten Commandments. Paul doesn't, he doesn't mention it. Do you know that stealing is one of the Ten Commandments? You shall not steal. He doesn't mention it. We're not living a new life based on some law-keeping agenda. No, we've got a greater motivation that we get to walk in love as Jesus walked in love towards us. It's a greater motivation than the law could ever be. In fact, in five, verse one and two, he says, be imitators of God as beloved children, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. And so it grieves God's spirit when we who are made new continue to operate in the old and allow our deceitful desires to dictate our walk. Instead of speaking truth, we deceive. 
Instead of forgiving, we harbor resentment. Instead of building people up with our words, our speech corrupts. Instead of being kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving, we are bitter, angry, and malicious, and it breaks God's heart. Because it's not what He has for His children. But the good news is this morning that you're no longer a slave to those deceitful desires. God doesn't abandon us when we fail, but He continues to encourage us through His love to walk in the way that He has made possible for us to walk through His grace. This connects us back again that the way you walk in every day is actually in relation to your relationship with God. God cares about your walk. He cares about your decisions. He cares about what's happening in your thought life and in your marriage and in, and in, and in maybe those secret parts of your life. And He is not condemning you. He's grieved, but the grief is love. I didn't look at my son lying in the bath, crying about his injury and go, well, you know, you were my son, but now that you're broken, I'm out. No, you know what I did is I took him up out of the bath and I was sorry for my initial response of anger. I took him up out of the bath. I went with him to his bed. I lay next to him on the bed and I held him while he cried. My sorrow moves me to compassion. God's sorrow moved him to the cross and it moves him to be closer to you, not further away from you. God doesn't run away when, we're, when we fail. He draws near, but through his drawing near, he gives us the grace to get up and to continue on and to pursue this great life that he has made possible for us. And that I really want to have a life that pleases God. I know that I'm already pleasing to God in Christ Jesus, but I want my walk to be pleasing to God as well. And I hope that God is developing that sense, that sensitivity in each one of us. It's, it's not an opportunity for condemnation. It's an opportunity for grace and a greater walk. Amen? God's involved in your life. He cares about every part. And if you're struggling in an area, ask Him for help. That's what He's there for. God, I don't want to do this. I don't want to grieve your spirit, but I struggle. Help me, God. He is an ever-present help in our time of need. Amen? Amen. Won't you stand with me this morning as we pray?